So one of the things that I do when I teach digital photography is I give the students a set of criteria to uh, use to critique any sort of photograph. So there there are three axes of cri- uh, three axes of critiques. Uh, so the first axis is uh, technical. So is it in focus? Um, uh, is the uh, is the exposure correct? Can we see in the shadows? Can we see in the highlights? If it's black and white, is there something that's white? Is there something that's black? Uh, do we have good midtones? All that type of thing. So that there's technical, and you can always you know critique any photograph on technical uh, ability. Then there is uh, for the second thing, it's composition. So you know, of course, one of the things that I teach is rule of thirds, and then how to break the rule of thirds, and then uh, you know, uh, maybe we don't like rule of thirds. You know, you can also do fives, and you can do all sorts of different things. But composition is the the second one, and cropping, of course, goes in composition. So the third thing that I teach is uh, uh, about critiquing uh, uh, a photograph is subject matter now in a photography class subject matter is usually the least important um and it's actually the thing that we hit in the last project is subject matter where they go out and do their own uh large creative uh series so subject matter could be uh is very much what people bring to the photograph who viewers bring to the photograph and what the photographer brings to the photograph. So one of the things that I use as a description of subject matter being an important critiquing matter is, um, I grew up with cats. We didn't have dogs in my house at all. My dad doesn't like dogs, so we didn't have dogs in the house, but we had cats and I loved cats. Absolutely loved loved cats. But then when I got into my twenties, I started becoming allergic. To the point where I now I, I go into a house that there's a where there's a cat and and I can feel it immediately and my eyes start to, to feel like they have sand in them and you know that type of thing. So when I look at a picture of a puppy and I have a dog now I, I've switched to dogs the dog side. So when I see a p- picture of a puppy I go oh yeah. and when I look at a picture of a cat I go oh allergies. Um, so subject matter really is as much about the viewer as it is about the photographer and what the photographer is trying to say. So this is a long bit of introduction, Ethan, into me asking you this question of those three things that I listed, which of the three things do you concentrate most on? when you are out shooting for yourself as opposed to shooting to uh, test a camera or, yeah, yeah. Uh, or or shoot somebody's wedding or do a portrait or something. Although maybe that's part of it, you know, because a portrait's all about subject, right? Well, I mean, and the other two as well. So where, where, where are, where are your um, attitudes when you're out shooting? Oh yeah. So I think that's a pretty easy answer. Uh, it's all subject matter, right? I, I think, a lot of us, uh, so I, I used to buy and sell cameras all over the country and I met a million photographers and I think the vast majority of photographers that I meet are actually not photo buffs so much as they are camera buffs. And what I mean by that is like 
They are into cameras rather than into pictures. And, you know, I'm guilty as charged. I, I got into it, right, because I clearly like mechanical machines and the workings of things, and, and I'm curious about the process. But, you know, after a year or two, by the time I was 15, 16, 17, uh, all the cameras work the same, all the lenses do the same, which is funny, right, because I make cameras now sort of for a living and and uh, I'm on this podcast talking about equipment all the time and I think a lot about it but you know I don't really give a damn about equipment uh <laughs> it's just is your picture interesting and and does that have I don't even think it has to do with composition or or technically anything you know I, I think it's just like are you shooting something that I want to see I usually think about that as like are you seeing something rare and is that thing rare because um it's far away it's uh it doesn't happen it's it's actually rare in occurrence it's something you haven't seen before it's something taboo to look at it's uh something that's illegal to look at or um you know hard hard to photograph like like tiananmen square it's a rare event um show me something i haven't seen before and i, I will probably like that picture even if that's technically horrible, but you know, you you could show me a million technically perfect pictures of waterfalls and flowers and you know posing models. I don't really give a damn. Okay, okay, uh, Nick, where do you fall in that in that uh, uh, spectrum? Well, I I'd agree that subject matter is always the most important thing, and but I find that that I'm always uh, so I sort of picture a pinball machine with those three triangle you know the three corners of that triangle and i'm always pinballing around between the three things so you know i i depending so what usually the thing that determines subject for me is where i go uh with my camera and so once you've made that decision and, and you go somewhere and start fooling around trying to find a composition you like then you'll have some technical questions that you may have to overcome or not and I, I I don't know. I could start at any corner of that triangle, but I'm always going to bounce around the other three anyway. So uh, I, yeah, I don't, I think that the subject is always primary, but when you're stuck with a certain environment for whatever reason, because you only have time to get there or because that's where the light is or, you know, whatever, and then you're within that environment, you're limited. And then you have to start looking for, ways to solve whatever those limitations are and then you're going to bounce around the other three sides or the other two sides of the triangle when you do that okay okay i uh i i follow uh what you're both um saying there um i i'm i think that um you ethan you make a really good point about the exotic really that's you know an all-encompassing word for what you were talking about i think um, something other than what you can see every day, right? Um, so uh, I live in Florida where it's flat, so a waterfall is an exotic. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, okay. water is an exotic for me out in the desert. Right. I'd okay, look at the sure. pond and be refreshed. Yeah, and, or green, you know, oh, yeah. that type of thing, you know. So, or, or if you live, you know, where uh, I, I grew up in Minnesota, so uh, Minnesota in the winter, uh, all I want to see is a palm tree. You know, um, uh, so, I mean, there are certain places there, are, uh, you know, conservatories and stuff like that where you can go. Um, 
Uh, I wanted to um, let's see. Uh, I wanted to talk about um, it, how I, I think that there are certain situations where um, any one of those three things can get in the way of a really good photograph. Um, so yes, once once again, you can have um, you know uh, poor technical or great technical in a situation where you want the other, right? Uh, because there are certain situations where, um, uh, where we want something other than uh, perfect technical ability. Um, there are, uh, you know, uh, okay. So we're, um, uh, we're, we're beginning a uh, political campaign here in the U S um, and believe me, I'm sick of it already. Right. And I haven't even seen ads running where I, where I live yet. Um, and, and I'm just sick of it. And, um, so that would be a perfect example of subject matter. It could be a great photograph. It could be evocative, but it's, I don't want to see these people yet. You know, I want to see these people, give them a month, fight it out for a month. And then we choose, you know, um, we don't need it two years in advance. So, um, but, 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 uh, uh, part of the deal is, um, that may be really good out of focus. So the subject matter is something I don't want to look at, but it's out of focus or it's, um, blurred, uh, you know, motion blurred or, or something along those lines. And then it's compelling. Could be. And so the, the other thing is that these neat definitions kind of can go sideways. So, you know, there is all sorts of photography where the subject is technical in nature. You know, when you especially when you start talking about blurry pictures, you know, is uh -huh. the subject what you're pointing the camera at or is the subject blurriness? You know, <laughs> I mean, it can it can right. get it can get pretty muddy when you start really uh, screwing yeah. around. Yeah. And uh, and I'll say on Flickr, um, one of the people whose work I absolutely love is uh, now he's French. So I'm sure I pronounce it wrong. Shayback, but or Chetback, C-H-E-T-B-A-K. Um, and um, it's um, so it's C-H-E-T space B-A-K. If you look, look him up on uh, Flickr and they're pictures of cities uh urban older uh older buildings and it's all you know some of it's in focus but most of it's well out of focus they're black and white they're moody and so technically these are not great photographs um many of them are not squared up um many of them are uh you know they're they look like they're shot from the hip but every one of them is evocative Mm -hmm. um yeah, and you know um so uh so i mean we've talked about him before on the on the podcast nick uh you and i have, have talked about him but um you know that's a that's a perfect example of of what i would say um where um subject matter is not really what we're looking at um sure it's a city and there are lots of people in these photographs, but they're never the things in focus. Um, uh, and uh, that the composition, maybe that's what it is about these things, that the composition is just excellent with everyone. 
but maybe not even that. There's something about these that really get me, and they're 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 kind of outside of all of those uh, three criteria. So now I need a fourth criteria: coolness. Okay. <laughs> so. I don't know. They really bring me back to living in Paris for a little bit. So, yeah. Uh, Is there any place you haven't lived, Ethan? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, I'm working on it. I, I get yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay, so guys, what do you say we start the Homemade Camera Podcast? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so this week uh, I get to introduce the topic for the first time is the Afghan box camera. Um, it's something that I've been really interested in since I was in high school. Um, I scoured the internet and could not find the old archives of Popular Photography Magazine, which I subscribed to for about, I don't know, three or four years back in the day before I realized it was the same magazine every year with different data in it. Um, they had this great article about Cuban street photographers who were using this camera. Um, it's often referred to as a Cuban Polaroid. Um, and I think the, the, uh, the most common name is Afghan box camera, um, called the camera E Fowry, which I may be saying wrong, um, which is basically a, box uh, with a little red window and a sliding focusing plane um, and a lens on the back and maybe a pair of jeans to stick your arms through. And so it's it's got a little dark room in the back of the box and a view camera or, you know, box camera in the front of the box. Ethan, which, Ethan yep. are those photographer's jeans <laughs> they are i think i will build mine out of photographer's jeans for sure i saw somebody making them out of jeans on the internet i was chuckling um yeah and so it allows people to take a picture and develop it in the camera um, traditionally it was done with um They'd make a paper negative, which is something I really like making. And then there's like a little stand on the, the front of the camera, like a copy stand. And they would take that digi or digital negative, that paper negative, and rephotograph it to make a positive. And I think this was, you know, pretty common in use for making like identification photos, maybe for driver's licenses or passports or whatever uh, Afghan identification documents there were. Um, in Cuba, it was used very often for, uh, you know, tourist mementos. Um, yeah, I think some people have built them to do, um, you know, portraits with Ilford Harmon direct positive paper. Um, there were a couple of great YouTube videos made about it. And I think a Kickstarter project even, we'll get to that later, but... Um, that's that's what we're going to be talking about today, the Afghan box camera. Or in general, I guess the idea of a camera that produces a, an, you know, an image right out of the camera. Yes. So um, how, how does the Af Afghan box camera, how do you how do you develop it? I mean, what's the 
What's that process like? So um, generally it's, it's a big old box. Um, I think for space saving, they generally delete stop bath and just go straight to fixer. Um, and so there's like a little light safe or paper safe in the camera that they can focus and then pull the paper out, stick it on the focusing plane um, under a clip or something. And then once they've exposed it, they can pull the focusing plane out of the way, grab the paper with one hand and stick it in the developer. And then once that's developed, they go straight to fix. Um, and I think some have had stop bath in them as well. Uh, but then the camera's got to be a little bit bigger and you just save a little bit of money on, um, you know, fixer being exhausted over time. Um, or, generally. Or that sounds like it's tailor made for uh, a monobath. Yeah. I haven't seen monobaths for paper, but yeah, that, that oh, makes sense. Okay. I, I have an I idea that I'd like to, that. That I'd yeah, like to okay. do, um, that's even more complicated it might have five or six baths. I've been thinking a lot about those old uh, chemical photo booths that, that spit out a oh, strip yeah. of four direct positives. Um, I've been doing a lot of research into this. I have not made too many direct positives, but I think I'm, I'm about to get there with my new dark room in my shop. Uh-huh. Well, I know that when, when I start fooling around with it, I'll, I'll be happy to just uh, have a negative and uh, you know, often the negatives is just as interesting an image on number one. And then number two, uh, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind process, you know, if I wanted positive doing that later out of camera, I'm not so much seeing myself as making a living selling portraits on the street with this as using it as a really interesting type of camera. Um, there is. It, so here's another side of it. You know, it's the it's the film camera that allows you to see the image right away as sort of the like looking at the back of your, you know, digital camera. You've, you get that opportunity to get immediate feedback and that's valuable in itself, uh, whether or not the negative is going to be your finished print. OK, um, I, now I, would we would we say something um uh, like uh, Heather Oklaus, we talked about her last time. Um, uh, her Little Miss Sunshine. Do you, it, did she develop in there? So is the is she like inside the world's biggest Afghan uh, camera? Well, Afghan I think, street camera. I'm not think, sure, but I do know of someone who does giant daguerreotypes and tintypes in a truck. And he develops right in there because you especially makes sense with those wet processes because you don't you have to develop it right away after you take the photograph. And if, you're, if you're inside the camera, you know, it's perfect. You don't really want to go anywhere else. You just do it right then and take care of it. Is that Ian Ruder? Probably. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, Heather is is probably doing it in the truck, I think. Brendan Barry has a shipping container that he's doing right. inside of. Um, I think this is pretty common for really big uh, cameras. I think um, this guy, Dennis Monarchy, built the world's largest camera, which I saw many years ago when it was built in Monroe, Wisconsin. I was living in Madison. We drove down for the day just to ogle it. Um, yeah, I think when, when cameras get super huge, 
um, they sort of outgrow traditional dark rooms and, and often people build the dark rooms into the camera as well. So the Af okay. back to the Afghan street camera, are you, you're peering through a red window so that you can time the developing, right? Uh, yeah. So I've seen a bunch of different ways that they do this, but basically on the back of the camera, generally there's like a little door that you can open to focus the camera and then close and it's got a red window on it. So it lets mm -hmm. some light in. And in general, there's like a peephole in on the top. And I've seen some people use uh, red filters on that peephole. And I think traditionally they use a little shutter. Um, so you put your eye up to it um, and there's like a little piece of cloth so that no light can get in around your eye, like, like an eye cup, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then you pull the shutter and then you can see because of the light coming through the red window. Um, Right. Yeah. So that's that's actually an illuminator rather than the way you peer in. OK, that makes sense. Right. right. And I think you could do it either way. I've even seen one. Um, not sure where it was somewhere in the world on YouTube uh, where they made the entire side of the box a big red window so that people could watch as things were being developed. It really reminded oh. me of um, I think it was Neil Piper a while ago made a red uh, like oh, a glass. red transparent. Yeah. It was glass or, or maybe it was, um, I think it was acrylic. stained glass. No, I think his, he said his wife was, was a stained glass oh, artist and they see, used yeah. sheets of stained glass. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, obviously with a pinhole, you wouldn't really be able to see the image projected in there, but maybe, you know, in a dim room with a red transparent camera and a bright lens, you might be able to see what's going on. Mm. So what are what are the advantages of uh, something like this? How how um, if if you're trying to sell this camera to somebody, what are your what's your pitch going to be? Man, I you know as a practical matter, I'd probably sell them an iPhone. But um, <laughs> just, yeah. you know for for almost twenty years now, I've I thought that this was such a cool thing. It was one of the very first cameras I ever wanted to build. Um, uh -huh. I've not built one. Uh, I built a lot of large format cameras that are similar and I actually once built a big Tupperware developing bucket that, you know, didn't have a camera in it, but it had, you know, a developer stop and fix and a couple of rinses and, um, half of a, uh, dark bag taped to the inside of the thing. So I could stick my arms in there, a little red window. Um, I've seen actually, Nick brought this up as like a lot of tin type or wet plate photographers. Um, I've seen them use sort of suitcase pop up dark rooms. I even have one sure. friend who has a uh, ice fishing tent in Wisconsin. Uh, shout out to Eric oh. Bailey's, the photo chemist in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I met him once. I was walking down the street with my girlfriend and I saw this guy with a I think it's just like a 20 by 24 Chamonix or Shamonix, however uh -huh. you say it. Chamonix. And he had an ice fishing tent uh, popped up in the, in the middle of the street in Wisconsin. And I, I just said, hey, Laura, I, I need 20 minutes to go talk to this guy. <laughs> and we've been <laughs> friends ever since. He's great. He makes some really amazing work. Um, but, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of different people's uh, take on, you know, uh, sort of portable dark rooms, whether that's in their camera or next to their camera. I think it's, uh, it's super cool. Um, it's kind of like a Polaroid. 
I, I have a list of advantages since that was the initial question. <laughs> for me, the primary advantage is that you don't have to have a whole bunch of expensive film holders. So one of the problems with large format like 8x10, even if it's paper, is that you need, if you want to take more than one picture, you need uh, to travel back and forth to a dark room or you need to own a bunch of expensive film holders or heavy, even if you can afford them, they're they're bulky and heavy. So if you're able to develop and load inside the camera, then you can have a box of 50, a box of 100 sheets in there and and just shoot all day long and not have to go anywhere or deal with dark rooms and dark bags or suitcase, you know, dark rooms and all those extra complications go away if you can stick right. your hands in and, you know, you just have to, to schlep around this hundred pound camera. Well, yeah, but it's you put wheels on it and you're in business. <laughs> no, but it's it simplifies a process. And at this point, I'm halfway through getting my darkroom functional. And so there's actually there's that I don't even have a decent darkroom. This would be I've been wanting to shoot paper negatives and I've been a little bit held up in getting this darkroom going. And this would be much easier to work with, in my opinion, than having to travel back and forth from you know a place where I want to take a photograph all the way back to the to the place where I can load more more paper you know it doesn't and, it's just silly and it does come down to instant gratification or uh, if not instant very short term um well yeah getting, and also you're getting feedback right away so if you're making long right. exposures I don't care how good your Luna Pro is you're going to screw up some of them and being able to shoot several times until you get something that's good again saving a lot of travel time you know maybe you're somewhere that's hard to get to or the, the light is is fleeting and you've only got half an hour to work this gives you the opportunity to to perfect the image on the spot instead of having to keep going back and going back so there's some very strong positive advantages to being able to develop the print right away um, it's not just a novelty or just a fun thing uh, I, I think the advantage is almost a, a novelty. Like, um, it's interesting, Nick, that you're really thinking about this as a camera that you, you know, schlep around maybe for landscapes or, or sort of nature type of things. I know that's mm -hmm. a lot of what you shoot. I think traditionally this has been used um, for portraits where, you know, people come to the camera rather than the camera being schlepped everywhere. But I, I think the novelty of being able to show your subject a print or, or, or that process is really, you know, fun. Like I've, I've taught a lot of uh, photo and darkroom classes, not really anything, you know, how to be an artist type of classes, but you know, this is how you develop photos sort of technical getting people there to uh, type of things. And I think mm -hmm. one, it would be a really good teaching tool. Uh, and two, it would just be, um, you know, really nice for people to see how the process works. And, and I think it would draw some interest. Um, well, I'm definitely yeah. interested in using it for portraits as well. And this is a, an era when everybody expects to get that image instantly. Yeah. And to, to tell somebody, oh, I'm going to have a nice print for you a week from now. They don't they're not they don't believe you. <laughs> you know? Right. It doesn't mean right. anything if you don't have something there. Uh, for them to you know to, to interact with almost right away then it's it's like that's not something people expect or accept anymore that you know this waiting for for the, some unknown image to show up in the mail you know a week later it's just not not something people are even mentally prepared to deal with anymore so uh okay okay um 
we have some resources that we will put into uh, the show notes. And um, there are a couple of videos that are from that are taken in Kabul. Um, and they show a uh, an Afghan box camera being used. And then another one shows one being made. And then we have a couple of them about modern builds. And um, and then uh, one of our contributors to our zine, and we'll be talking about our zine a little bit later, um, the uh, uh, Sandea Lynch, he has built one. Um, I didn't know what it was when he built it. It didn't. Uh, but now I fully understand what he was trying to do. Um so uh so that is uh so we have one of those um we have a how to make one it's the cuban polaroid version and is uh, is, is there a difference between the cuban polaroid and the afghan box well there's a difference between every single one of these cameras none of them have been mass produced and so every every single camera is you know, handmade and a little bit different. I think in Cuba, the ones I saw had bellows focusing on the front, whereas in Afghanistan, the majority of them had... Um, Internal focusing systems. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't know if that's split by region or photographer's preference, um, but, but both seem, you know, reasonable ways to do it. Well, when I look at Sandejas, he put the, he did the Cuban style where there's a bellows, but I think there's a, like a logic. I don't know why he did it, but it, if it was me uh, and I found a, a really handy front standard that would fit a lens, well, gosh, there's already bellows attached to it. I might as well just attach those to the camera. You know, so there's a, a logical process if you're, if you're building a Franken camera that would make you use that method. Uh, on the other hand, I'm designing a similar camera, the wheelbarrow camera I discussed earlier, and I've gotten uh, farther with the design. And I've decided I want to have internal focusing by moving the film plane back and forth, just reach in with your arm, you know, armholes and slide the thing back and forth because that keeps it really simple. I can have a weatherproof, rigid box exterior with no moving parts exposed to the weather. And that will make this a camera I could use in you know, bad weather or next to the ocean or, you know, whatever. Or under uh, the ocean. <laughs> well, there is a floating <laughs> version in the works. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so there's advantages to having the moving stuff inside as well. And for that matter, you can slide the film plane all the way up to the lens and have room to, you know, spread out your developing equipment. So there's, there's good, you know, good reasons for both designs. So I, I think this might okay. bring us to, um, like the the fact that aside from the Polaroids I can think of, there's not really many, let's call them, uh, for lack of a better term, like self-developing cameras that were commercially available. But there were some and of wildly different designs. I remember you guys a long time ago did that uh, show about 500 cameras, the book. Yeah, there's one right. there. Rented and it's great. Um, I think there was like a, Nick, what was it? It was like a, a tin can that you poured chemicals into. Well, there, there, uh, the, the one that I remember from the book was actually a pretty elegant wooden box shaped camera. Um, you know, and you, I think it's, I think this was in the dry plate era, but a glass plate, right? So there's a glass plate at the back of the camera and all they did was they put a light, tight 
uh, funnel on top so that you could pour chemicals in after you after you exposed the uh, the plate you then just poured chemicals straight into the camera and sloshed it around poured it out poured in your fixer sloshed it around and it just was a way to develop the the plate right then and there uh, using a waterproof camera with a lightproof hole in the top. So it's essentially the idea I had the other week of making a developing tank into a pinhole, but this is something that was done in the 1800s <laughs> with an elegant wooden uh, plate camera. That's great. You know, the other one that I think of all of the time when I'm thinking of this is the photo booth. And I, somehow I think your floating weatherproof wheelbarrow camera will somehow be at the end of the day, something like a, in my head, at least, you're going to come up with a photo booth that you're wheeling around in a wheelbarrow. Well, in a sense, yeah, sure. And imagine like going to a fair and just wheeling this thing out, parking, maybe put up a backdrop or, or a, you know, a parasol or something. And, and people could come have their portraits taken right then and there. So it could be it could certainly be used in a street cart kind of way, like selling hot dogs and pictures, you know. Mm -hmm. But but there's also. um there's also the opportunity to push it into the woods or to the beach or, you know, somewhere. And I think the self-contained thing's a big deal. So when I go out to take pictures, I don't always have a lot of time. And I find myself, you know, packing all these different bits and pieces into bags and figuring out how to lug them. And if you just had this box with wheels that was already to go all the time, it, it, yes, it's awkward, but once you've, it's just one thing and you don't need to repack it. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it could actually be pretty efficient. Yeah, one of the things that I was so amazed with watching the um, video on YouTube, we'll have the link for um, where they're making an Afghan box camera, is the the level of detail. So it's like all handmade with with pretty rudimentary uh, hand and and some very simple power tools. Um, but they went through the detail of like putting little drawers on the outside for the photographer's odds and ends to keep mm -hmm. with them. I, I just thought like that's that's so extra, you know, <laughs> and it, it's really crazy how much that, you know, is not necessary for the function of the thing that that they build into little, you know, filigrees on the negative holders and, and things like that. I think it's kind of a wacky camera and, and a good opportunity to you know, build in all sorts of useful or non-useful but beautiful details. You know, when you're when you're forced to live and work outdoors, uh, those little details start to matter a lot, though. Um, we do a lot of things in sloppy ways because we have trucks and cars and big houses and so forth. But it, if you're in a, in a place or in a situation where you don't have a big house and a car, then all those little details that make things more efficient start to count more and become more and more important. Uh, and I think it's similar with what we're talking about um, I don't know if I'm going to convince anyone that a wheelbarrow camera is is more efficient than their, than their <laughs> digital camera. But, but you're going to try. There is a way that it is, you know, and even even all digital, you've got to have the computer and the hard drive and all this other, you know, you spend hours fooling around with stuff um, before you end up with your end product. I mean, I think the only really fast thing is the is the is the silly, uh, you know, cam uh, phone photograph that instantly goes off to the internet i mean that's the fast version and and ah, whatever we you know we're going to great lengths to avoid that yeah. so i did just do a little bit of research it seems that monobath um monobaths for paper 
uh, are certainly just as uh, workable as monobaths for um, for film. The the argument is that there's not really much advantage because you're you know it's one minute in developer, you know, ten seconds in in stop and two minutes in fix. You're not really saving a whole lot of time. However, in this type of situation, you're saving space. Yeah, and, that's and that is your that's your big key. So right. and, um, if, and if you're looking through a red window, you know, it, just having one bottle to find and pour <laughs> it might be an right. advantage. So you're not absolutely fixing your your you know your print too soon or whatever. Right, right. No, I'm I'm completely with you there. Um, I guess so, you could make braille bottles. I guess there's always a, a solution. I think you pour <laughs> the bottles uh, with the thing open before you have the paper exposed. Uh, right. Yeah, or at least yeah, that's what the video shows. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, you know, still, it's not. Um, uh, I think that you could do it uh, any way you you really wanted to there. Um, so so yeah. yeah. So what appeals to me the most, and I think I've talked about it in, in this podcast a little bit, um, is. Uh, there's this guy on Instagram that I follow, Don Frula, F-R-O-U-L-A. Uh, uh-huh. And he's also got a YouTube channel. Um, we can put up a link to uh, his work in the show notes. And this guy who's actually, I figured out last week that he's in Albuquerque, but I haven't met him. Joe Van Cleve makes a lot of videos about uh, old camera stuff, which I'm really interested in, and old typewriters, which I'm not interested in very much. Um, and both of them have done some work doing, uh, reversal processes of, um, paper negatives and, or well, paper positives shooting on paper. Um, Uh and, and basically what they're doing is they will take a picture, put it through the developer, rinse it, and then, uh, bleach out all of the, all of the silver salts that have been developed the bleach will only react with already developed silver, right? So they take off all of the, all of the image that's black and then they fog the paper. Um, And actually Don had this really clever way of fogging it chemically with uh, like iron out, which is like a rust remover for your pipes, I think, um, which is very similar to what goes on in, in one of those old mechanical analog photo booths. Uh, but but basically, then they fog the paper after they've removed all of the developed uh, image, right? And so only what is not developed, which you would then remove with the fixer, but you haven't removed yet, uh, then that becomes uh, sensitized. And then they repeat the developing process where they go developer, stop, fixer, and they get um, an inverted or, or reversed image. And I'm really interested in that. I'm... Um, not such a huge fan of Ilford Harmon paper. Uh, I think it's really cool, but it's a little bit expensive and I've not been able to control it uh, the way I would like. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in playing with that process, uh, both for the eight by 10 that I'm building and um, maybe instead of using monobath, I, I can, you know, kind of uh, build an even bigger, more convoluted camera to make direct positives out of it.
Okay, so we're convinced that uh, this sort of self-developing camera, which produces a, either a negative or a print on the spot, is really worth doing and really a fun idea. And we're hoping that some of our listeners are interested too. And we propose starting a contest to you know to see how many different ways people can come up with to solve this problem of instant photography with a homemade camera. And uh, I don't know, we do we have some guidelines here? Let me see. What have we got? Uh, well, the basic description is just a camera that puts out a finished photograph, and it could be a Polaroid, it could be a paper negative, a positive, uh, you know, a direct positive, or anything else you can come up with. Um, and it could be similar to my original idea of just having a developing tank with a pinhole in it, or um, a big box with a whole dark room in it. Um, or as we, I guess this, we haven't discussed this online yet, but um, I, I've kind of been going with a wild idea of a wearable camera that you can, <laughs> that you can <clears throat> develop from inside, but instead of a giant box, like, you know, people make cameras out of a shipping container or a truck, I have in mind uh, basically a big voluminous garment that you can unfold, create kind of a, a big, uh, a light, a lightly framed fabric camera that you're inside with your legs sticking out so you can walk around. Uh, I'll have to do some, draw <laughs> put some drawings up so that <laughs> the idea makes more sense. But this would be uh, another version where you're inside the camera and but you're mobile and can develop prints. Uh, as you go. Uh, Graham, did you get that, that text from Nick with his sketch of this thing? I did. And it, um, can we put I that on, I, on the website uh, or, or in the uh, show notes? Sure. It is so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I think it like, it might have topped all of Nick's crazy ideas yet. I really want to see it. <laughs> it's oh, like yeah, a big yeah, bird yeah, suit with a dark room inside. <laughs> yeah. A suit. yeah. I hadn't thought of it. It is like those, those, uh, those mascot suits, exactly. And and I think it, there's another side to this, that if you're wearing a really outlandish uh, garment that makes you look like a like an accordion robot, then you're going to get a different kind of photograph, you know, because people are going to be trying to interact with this object coming down the street with a big giant frogman eye sticking out of it and an accordion body and feet walking underneath. <clears throat> and I think it could really uh, be an interesting street camera, for instance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Um, it, it looks so much uh, like it's it. It's kind of a cross between the Jetsons and Robbie the Robot. Is yeah. uh, is what the description kind of looks like. Um, now, my question is: Is there ventilation, or are you going to be breathing fumes? There has to be ventilation. Yeah. Maybe instead of ventilation, Nick, you could build in some sort of snorkel that you breathe through. Sounds like uh, ventilation to me. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, and I'm, it's good I'm, for your yeah, underwater version. Right, and I'm too. working on I'm working on an amphibious version, so that's a great idea. Yeah, some <laughs> of us have fill your ballast tanks. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> fill your ballast tanks and get down in there, and you know, right on the water surface. Yeah. Here comes that creepy guy with the creeper camera again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you guys will see it you got um uh following the show notes there there is a way um i know that uh, i don't know how to do it yet but i'll um uh i'll uh text uh ted Vieira, but he has um he has pictures right in his show notes 
So there's got to be a way, and I and I just don't know how to do it. Yeah, this is an amazing picture worth seeing. I I chuckled for hours uh, looking at it. I've showed it to a few people. Yeah. Um. So yeah, absolutely. Uh. So we'll do that. Um. Uh. Ethan, what are you thinking? So you know, I'm not exactly the most practical person, but I I think like you and I are are much more on the practical side, whereas. You know, Nick's in that legal weed state, <laughs> uh, <laughs> making garment cameras. Um, I would like to build something. So I'm I'm working on this laser cut eight by ten, which has been shelved for a while. I would like to build something, maybe based around that, maybe not, but but laser cut, maybe that I could um, sell literally three <laughs> uh, kits that are are laser cut. That's similar to a traditional Afghan box camera with a few modifications, maybe a little bit larger uh, to do direct positives out of the back of. Um, traditionally, I think these things shot up to four by five or five by seven for sort of tourist mementos and, and often much smaller for ID cards and you know passports and things. But um, I would like to produce something like at least four by five, maybe eight by 10, maybe even larger. You know, I don't want this thing to be so big I can't pick it up, but um, I'm thinking it would be really nice to put out nice, large, finished, positive prints that people could look at and sort of interact with and use the camera with. Um, I think, you know, again, Brendan Barry is a real inspiration uh-huh. here shooting Ilford Harmon, I believe, out of his... Um, you know, he's got like a trailer camera and a shipping container camera that he develops right in there. I don't want to have to have a shipping container crane to move this camera around. I want to rely on my puny muscles only. But, um, yeah, I, I might go a little bit bigger with it. And, and I think I'm going to use a lot of laser cut plywood or acrylic and some 3D printed mechanical parts. That sounds really right. good. I'm interested in something like that as well. You know, this crazy garment camera is appealing, but I've been also working on the wheelbarrow camera, which is perfect for this. And what one thing that occurs to me is, you know, we talked about the advantage of a monobath and the whole thing of having enough space to do your developing. Well, so the only tray you need to be able to see into is the developer tray. So well, you don't no, really even need to be able to see into that. You don't need to, but let's just say that you're, you know, since you've only got one shot to develop it and you, in perhaps you're you know, you might end up with an overexposed negative that you, or paper negative that you want to yank before it overdevelops. Uh-huh. And in that situation, it, it would pay to be able to see in what, but there's no reason you need to see fixer. Um, so that could be a vertical tank on the side of the box yeah. and you could slide that, you know, developed picture right into the fixer and that would only have a small footprint so you wouldn't need two side by side eight eight by ten trays you see what i like that a lot yeah Yeah. so that it's sort of like i love tiny house and boat design where you really have to figure out how to use space well and this is that type of problem to solve you know one thing that i saw that i really loved um which he didn't make a video about it it just was in his videos joe van cleve was developing things and he had those little like crappy Ikea plastic shelves with like mm-hmm. sliding drawers. And maybe the thing was, you know, eight by 10 by a foot tall or something. And it had three trays or four trays in it. Mm, that's a nice and, idea. And each one of the drawers, he just filled with chemistry and he would pull out a drawer, you know, stick the paper in, pull out the lower drawer a little bit more, 
pick it out of the first one, stick it in the second one, and it, yeah, it was whole dark room stacked up in a chest. And if it's a tight drawer with a maybe a foam gasket on top, it would even resist spills when you're you know trundling around a little bit with this thing. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Hey, Graham, what are you thinking about building? What am I thinking about building? I uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think that I might might go the Instax route. Um, or, um, the Ilford direct positive route, uh, just simply because you don't need that second step of, um, you know, taking the paper negative, developing it, and then reshooting the paper negative to make a paper positive. Um, so going one of those two routes, I think would be much more my speed for something along these lines. Now, uh, for Instax, I would have to, you know, I don't know, maybe get an old, uh, I could even probably do it from an old Polaroid. Uh, maybe even something like a, uh, well, anyway, an old Polaroid that has the rollers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, because the rollers are the big thing. That rolling has to be done in dark uh, before, you know, before it... it um, uh, comes out into the light. So, um, you know, perhaps that's, uh, my, my route. Um, uh, similarly, I would love to do some sort of monobath pod for some, um, direct positive paper. So it, it you know, so it, it goes through, much more quickly um and uh and maybe you know it gets cranked out um well it can't it can't it has to have like six minutes in there for the fix right well let me ask you this can you do direct positive paper in a monobath i um i don't see why you can't um so maybe that is is first experiment before I design camera, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is is to make sure that my assumption is correct on that. Um, but I, I really like the idea of it being positive. Now, the other end of this is, um, uh, you were talking about the idea of a teaching tool. Uh, that is an incredible teaching tool. So that means that I would want that big, piece of red lucite on the side of it mm-hmm. uh, you know uh to to really show what's going on and, uh, and that brings me to another thing is that even if you don't always use this thing as a camera it can often be super handy to have a portable darkroom so right you know you, you could take a picture with any camera and and put the film holder inside there and develop it you know so yeah you have a point yeah there. yeah it, you know it doesn't have to be the dual camera it it just it just could be super handy to have a little portable darkroom. Yeah, I had one of those many years ago. Is like a big gray Rubbermaid tub with a bunch of uh, lemonade containers that I'd taco an eight by ten in. It was uh-huh. really really useful. I, I would love to have one again, whether or not it's a camera. Like uh, with a pop up tent over it, or so you can no, reach, it, reach in and. Well, so mine just had like a little safe light window. I think I stole it out of an old Kodak safe light. Uh, and used duct tape and then duct taped um, an open changing bag to a hole that I cut in the lid. There you I go. I pop the lid down and just stick my arms in. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, maybe that's um, that's part of the deal in the camera. Uh, maybe that would be the primary idea and the camera would be a secondary idea. In fact, the camera could sit on top um, with film holders. Right. Um, and for that it, matter, you could just have like a, a little window inside your box with a, with like a, a foam light seal around it. And you could just reach your arms in and have a camera in there, any camera. And pu- you know, push it up to the little window, take a picture, <laughs> right? Pull, pull the film. I mean, so this thing could be like very flexible. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, totally autonomous. Right. One right. One thing that I, I'm surprised you didn't mention that I, you know, I know we'd been joking about it, but I actually really want this camera. I want you to make one and send it to me because <laughs> I'd like to use it. Is um, the what, what did you call it? The Canorama. The Canorama. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, no, the um, canamorphic. Canamorphic, right. Uh, yeah. the, you know, you've been working on a bunch of pinhole cameras that look like developing tanks, and I know you've been working a little bit on developing tanks. Um, I would really like to see you put those two things together and make a camera kind of like the, the, you know, 1800s camera that was in 500 cameras that Nick was talking about where, yeah. you know, you could take a picture and then pour chemistry in and out of the whole camera body um, and develop a picture. I, I would like you to make me one of those. So, okay. so one, so one of the nicest um, pinhole cameras that a friend of mine who does a lot of this kind of work uh, uses is a paint can camera. And I mean, you, all you'd need to do is take the glue, the, the top of a developing tank onto the, to the lid of a paint can. And you could put a nice big paper negative. You get that that cool effect of a curved uh, film plane and then a pinhole illuminating it. Um, Right. And that would be, you know, and you're going to you think to yourself, well, that's an awful lot of chemical. But if you tip it on its side and, you know, so that the the, you wouldn't have to fill it all like a rotary bath almost. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I think, Um, Graham, you could probably even come up with some 3D printed uh, light baffle. Things so you don't have to destroy your uh, developing tanks. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to do it in the developing tanks. One of the things that um, uh, I talked about last time we did a show was the idea that I have a bunch of four by five film that's kind of stacking up and it's slow to process because I can only process four at a time. Well, I did end up getting a uh, one liter uh, Patterson tank. So I will be ordering that um, uh, six reel uh, developing holder, spiral holder from uh, six sheet holder, six sheet. What did I say? Six reel. Yeah. Six sheet holder from uh, 20th century camera. And yeah. um, And the but before that, yeah, I started to design one myself. Um, uh, and it just, uh, there are baffles and then there are, you know, seals and stuff like that, that are a little bit of a problem. One of the first things I thought about with the canamorphic, uh, camera is that, um, you know, it's got a pinhole in it liquid will come out of that pinhole, you know? Um, so, uh, so what do you have to do for that? You know, maybe well, you make, you make a little, um, uh, what is it? A lens shade with a watertight cap and glue that on there. So, yeah. you know, there, there's a solution. Sure. Sure. 
or or the other thing is you just put in a small amount of um uh of developer and a small amount of fix and you roll it yeah i was uh, thinking that that would save developer back. wouldn't need yeah, yeah you wouldn't need as much developer that way too yeah and, and yeah agitation yeah. would be very convenient you just rock yeah. it back and forth like yeah i i'm just worried about any sort of uh chemical uh degradation degradation of the pinhole so what i would what i would recommend instead is a, a screw cap lens board design so like use peanut butter lids or, or something as a lens board and then you can just unscrew your lens or pinhole and screw on a cap or screw on one that has a red viewing window so you can look in and see the developing happen I'm, so i'm thinking so, of a light leak as you swap the lenses uh walk a swap them so you'd have to have a changing bag or, you could or like uh, no, you the Mamiya 7 has, yeah, exactly. the oh. 7 has a shutter you close before you swap the rangefinder. Uh, so it's a dark lens. slide concept. It's yeah, a, yeah, right. And you could yeah. build it out of a dark slide in a peanut butter jar or something, you know. Yeah, you don't even need to. I mean, my, my God, brass shim materials, cheap as hell. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, you can you can do dark slides really easily. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that um but that's an idea that's an idea and so, also would be an access port as well so yeah. maybe make that pretty that lens board thing pretty big and then you could use it to load paper or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so um this is all um uh, kind of all this discussion is uh about um essentially making this into a contest so um, we have settled on a deadline date for this contest of Thanksgiving in the United States. So that is the fourth Thursday of uh, November for the rest of the world that doesn't have Thanksgiving when we have Thanksgiving uh, or doesn't have Thanksgiving at all. So uh, it's the fourth uh, Thursday in November. You've, I mean, doesn't the world have Black Friday? Um, so Black Friday is the Friday after Thanksgiving. So y'all should know about it. Um, but the, um, so, but that is, um, that is what our deadline is going to be for submissions. So that gives you several months to think about it and probably a weekend to put it together just before <laughs> the deadline. And, and, and Black deadline. Friday is probably a pretty good time that you can, um, you know, finish this project and uh, throw away your terrible camera and get a good deal on a brand new digital camera from Best Buy on the Internet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was going to. Yeah. W when you said that you would have time, I was very confused because that's the time that we have to go out and gather. <laughs> we have to gather. That yeah. is part of the deal. So well, I, uh, I recommend starting with one of these really simple um, developing tank types. And and on that note, for instance, there are plenty of bad developing tanks out there that would make a good camera. So I have one of those, some of those old stainless ones that have the terrible reels that are hard to use. Really? Send them to me, Nick. Send them to me. I know one of the reels. <laughs> yeah, I hate plastic reels. Yeah, uh, plastic yeah, not reels. All, not all stainless reels are good. Some of them work really well and some of them don't. Yeah. So the tank will make an excellent camera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, by the way, Ethan, do you have any um, from buying out camera stores and all that type of stuff? Do you have any 120 metal reels? I do. 
Okay, well, we will talk after the show. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, because uh, I'm doing uh, I, I'm doing all of those, uh, like, Holga mask things, uh-huh. and I'm doing a lot of 120 pinhole, and I'm ending up, and I only have four uh, 120 reels, and <laughs> I have, you know, I have, like, 20 tanks, so... So I need uh, I need some more. So we'll talk about that. We'll we'll. we'll so let's let's quickly um, in a nutshell define this yeah. define this contest. Um, we know that it ends on Thanksgiving or Black Friday, just in time That's to buy right. a digital camera. Um, That's right. We know that it has to be a self developing camera, or or do we want to also include sort of portable dark rooms, or um, let's let's say anything that that you can uh, pull a sort of uh, pull, pull it like a finished analog image out of. Uh, okay. Is, is, Which that, I'm gonna, is that reasonably I'm gonna, broad? Yeah. So anything yeah. that you can create a, 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 an image, and it may just be a paper negative, but create an image on the spot. Let's just say not at home in the dark room, but you know, somewhere out in the field. Okay. Pretty broad. Right. Uh, Broad enough to accommodate Graham's reasonable ideas and Nick's uh, super crazy ideas and everything in uh-huh. between. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about what people need to submit. So, uh, yeah, they should, I mean, definitely photos of and photos by the device. Um, so, uh, you know, as many detailed photos you can, you can, uh, have of the device and uh, photos um, from that the device makes. Now, do and, we want? And maybe even let's let's add if you can make a uh, YouTube or an Instagram video showing it in in action, extra points. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Right, and um, if you do a feature length movie on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or a one That's minute right. movie on Instagram would be great. Well, that is a. That is feature length on Instagram, isn't it? Right. One, I think that, uh, yeah, they're, they're one minute a piece, right? Or is it five yeah. minutes? Uh, uh, one minute. We're one not minute. going so, for Vine, but uh, yeah. Instagram would be great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also process photos would be great. So if you've got pictures of, you know, your camera starting as a lump of plastic or a block of wood or metal, uh, that would be really uh-huh. interesting to see. And maybe some uh, pics or, or videos of you milling things or gluing and clamping things or you know um this podcast is all about building cameras and so the the process uh photos or documentation would be really uh interesting to see i think certainly for the three of us and and i would assume for most of our listeners right all right yeah that sounds um, great yeah 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 I'm, i have um, a lot of enthusiasm for this project and, and then a couple more things just just house cleaning, uh, things to submit. Um, we've got process photos, description of the camera, you know, maybe a one or two paragraph description of what the camera does, what it's supposed to do, what it does do, what it doesn't do that you wanted it to do, what it's made of, etc. cetera. So, so Graham, yeah. or you, can you make like a form so that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on our website, people will be able to just fill out a form and, and it'll tell them what information to put in. Just, it just makes it really easy. I really appreciated yeah. it for the zine, just, right. you know, typing into boxes instead of having to like, you know, write an outline and think about what I was going to say. <laughs> and then two more housekeeping things for that form is your name, date and location. 
And then one thing uh, I'm really curious about is what is your inspiration for the podcast beyond uh, Nick and his crazy ideas? Yeah. But, um, you know, what what other cameras have you seen that that you might be basing it on? Or is it a totally new concept or? um, Yeah. How how did you arrive at this uh, at at this design? Right. Okay. Um, Uh, I I think we can do that. uh let's see and um uh we have talked about prizes um so there will be prizes for the best designs um we're talking about um something from the uh staple of things that that um ethan and i make um and so we'll figure out exactly what it is um i'm gonna guess um you know, maybe a butter grips box, that type of thing. Yeah, or maybe even so. even a semi-homemade camera. Oh, yeah. Sorts. Okay. Um, and we will have a judge. Uh, we're going to have to figure out who that judge will be. Um, but we will have a uh, semi, probably not very impartial judge. Can, can we get um, a guest judge? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. we're going to have to get a guest judge on this um, because we're going to be competing. Sure. You know, okay. In it. So well, we can't win. So, <laughs> well, yeah, well, we can win a second set. So so here's the deal is that if if I win, then I get to pick one of your things uh, that you can send me. If you win, uh, I'll, I'll you get to pick one of the things that I make and I'll send you. And if Nick wins. I don't know. Then, what? then we all need to buy scuba tanks. Scuba tanks. <laughs> They're all around. Yeah, Nick Everybody does not make reproducible so, things. They're uh, beautiful. No, no. Everybody has to have a wearable, autonomous, amphibious photo lab. It's something everybody needs, and everybody's going to burn their lungs out with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That, hey, all you need to do is put in uh, a dry a, um, a dry bag uh, neck seal, and then <laughs> and, and have a little a little viewing screen. Uh, you know, so the thing would need to sort of come out like you had a big bosom, and then you have a little viewing screen. You can just bend your head and look down inside. So you don't need to no, breathe. The, there'll be a lot of navel gazing in this one. And this right? and the snorkel is also a perfectly good idea, I think. That, yeah, that's so. Perfect. So the, so we call yours is a wobble. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, wearable autom- autonomous photo lab. Wearable autonomous photo lab. Autonomous. Yeah. So a wobble. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> um, we're also going to look into the possibility of um, of finding a place to display these things in physical form. Um, we are very early in that process. So if you, if anybody out there owns a gallery or is a, uh, principal, um, uh, person in a gallery, let us know. And, um, and maybe we can, we can do a show and, uh, and make it travel. That I think that would be really cool. I, I think it's yeah. unfortunate that, uh, you and Nick and I each live at least a thousand miles apart, 1500 miles apart. Right. But, um, I think, if uh, yeah. I, I would love to go see, you know, I, I go to a lot of photo galleries to see photos, but I, I would also love to go to a photo gallery to see 
cameras that people have built. Uh, I think that would be a really neat show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Maybe so, well, one uh, way to do so that long term, this is getting ahead of ourselves, but long term, the one way to do that is to make it travel. So yeah, make a wearable gallery. Well, we, there we no, no, no. I mean, we could we could people could send a bunch of cameras in to a, a point and then we they could move around. The, the whole bunch of them could move around. Um, so, <laughs> you, you know, if you find a place I could find a place in the Seattle area to have a show of, of this. And if you found a place in uh, New Mexico and you found a place in you know Florida, then the, the, then we could send the, the show on a tour. It would be fun. Right. Yeah, I think that would be great, but not necessary for the uh, for the contest and and uh-huh. the entries. I think really what thing. everybody will win is an excellent or terrible camera that is commensurate with the amount of work and design that you put in. <laughs> So guys, what um, what is it that you uh, you've been working on in the last week? Um, uh, Ethan, you want to go first? Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I I have talked about it a little bit more uh, in the past, and I will talk about it more in the future. But I've been building this uh, panoramic 35 millimeter camera for my buddy who shoots movies. Um, uh, so he can shoot some Cinestill film that matches the uh, same emulsion that he will shoot the uh, movie on um, at the same aspect ratio, which is 1 to 2.4. So it's uh, 24 by 58 millimeters, a little smaller than the X-Pan uh, in frame size, although it's much larger than the, the X-Pan in uh, dimensions. Um, and it's sort of based around the homunculus, or at least the homunculus lens mount, Um so it takes Mumia press lenses and it's got a panoramic 35 millimeter film transport and counter, uh, in the back. It doesn't take external backs. So it's, um, all, and I, it's a one, one single unit, but with one a single unit. So with, with a lens mount in this case, it's Mumia press, but you could probably rig it for something else too. You would say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, but for now, yeah, Mamiya Press. And, you know, so I've been working on that um, for a little over a month. And uh, I had to stop for about a week and a half while I moved. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, the homunculus is relatively simple. This thing has over 40 pieces and a lot of mechanical interactions for the film transport. And um, it was it was kind of like kind of a murderous process with hundreds and hundreds of print hours, let alone, you know, uh, sanding and filing and measuring and uh, making uh, changes. But yesterday was the first day I put a roll through it just to test for light leaks, and there were none. I left the camera out in the sun at different angles for 10 minutes each in, you know, hot Albuquerque weather, and it was uh, totally, totally fine. Um, Cool. I have to say, this is one of the most desirable cameras around, though, because... It's it's a panoramic that takes 135 film and you can, you know, load, shoot, take the film out and load again. So it's a real, you know, it's a real practical camera. I think it's yeah, like, I think people will like it 
particularly the few people who are shooting movies on film at uh, anamorphic aspect ratio of one to two point four. But um, uh. <laughs> I think a lot of people will dig it. It's it's my most complicated camera so far uh, in terms of mechanical interactions. There's a lot of gears, which means there's a lot of tolerance issues that had to be worked out. And so, um, yeah, it's it's neat. Um, it works really well. I've got the second prototype that's a working prototype on the printer, although I've gone through four or five that were totally non-working prototypes. And there's, you know, kinks I want to iron out over the next couple of months. Like I really hate the rewind knob on it right now. It's, it's sticky. And so I've got a second prototype of that on my desk that I made last night. That's not quite there, but yeah, I think, um, I will start putting up some pictures of it in the coming month, maybe in two or three months, I will release it to the public. It's going to be kind of expensive because it's got so many different, very precise pieces in it, but I've been toying with the idea of just releasing it as a, a kit that'll take you almost a day to build, but I think I can sell it at that point for, you know, half price if people are willing to do the work of sanding and filing and polishing and, you know, putting this thing together. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, Nick, what have you been doing? Uh, actually mostly just thinking up crazy ideas because I'm still, <laughs> still really busy trying to finish, uh, constructing a house on the side. So yeah, that's almost done though. Um, so the crazy ideas are starting to seem like something I could work on and that's exciting. Uh-huh. Is it a house or a basement mounted camera? No, <laughs> there, actually that is a possibility. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Oh my God. It's the Afghan street house. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so I've done a couple of things. Um, I've kind of been in uh, a, a real spree of development. Um, and what I mean by development is, uh, is de- product development. Um, I um, took a, an FPP uh, film photography podcast debonair which uh i kind of recommend it's a plastic camera it's 20 something bucks comes with film or at least it did when mine when i got mine several years ago the problem with this um is that the 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 lens that mine came with uh is blurry no matter what right in the center um it has a little bit of sharpness around the edges it doesn't matter what you turn you know, the focus knob too. Um, so I, I didn't use it very often. Uh, and the Holga that I got from Nick is, you know, far and away a better camera. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things about the, the, um, uh, FPP debonair is that it is a six, four, five. So it's six centimeters by 4.5 centimeters on one twenty film. And uh, and I love that format. Absolutely love that format. And I, you know, ever since I got this camera, I thought, hey, I should just put a pinhole on that thing. So I finally did it. I 3D. I, I first of all took the lens and shutter system off. Lens, shutter, and aperture system. So here, I still have it. Now it's not attached to a camera, uh, but that comes off with just removing two screws. So this is actually a completely reversible process. Uh, I can put that thing back on if I want. Uh, so I, I 3D printed a, um, 
a box that sits out from the front of the camera um, because I wanted a focal length that was closer to normal than I would have gotten if I had just flush mounted um, the um, uh, the pinhole on it. So um, I have done uh, now two test rolls. I've developed one of the test rolls. There was something wrong with the actual film, something wrong with the emulsion. So I didn't get any pictures that were savable, but the pinhole sharp enough and it's a um, uh, self drilled, a home drilled um, pinhole. Uh, and I'm telling you, uh, self drilled pinhole in and what I use for metal is pie tins. And, you know, you go to the dollar store and get three pie tins. You cut out the 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 aluminum at the bottom. Uh, they drill in three minutes and um, they're round enough to use. I usually have to drill three holes to get one good hole. Um, so, uh, you know, that's that's been the rate so far. Um, but anyway, so uh, it, it has in advance very much like the Holga with clicks. And um, uh, and I think that's going to be a good system. Now, part of the deal was here. Here's the reason why I jumped on this now. I am going uh, on vacation. I'm, I'm going to visit my dad in uh, Minneapolis. And one of the things that I'm going to do on uh, during that vacation is I'm going to go to one of my favorite spots on the in the entire world. And that is the North Shore of Lake Superior. It's the Minnesota shore of Lake Superior as opposed to the Wisconsin or the um, Manitoba, Ontario. That's Ontario over there, not Manitoba. Um, and um, so I'm uh, so I'm going to be uh, visiting there and um, it, it, I wanted to take some pinhole pictures. But what I have for uh, pinhole cameras are the ones that have very short focal lengths, so they're very distorted, especially at the edges. Um, or I had, um, you know, uh, ones that were wider than uh, six by six, and six by six is the biggest that I can put in my enlarger. So this body really was screaming out to get it done. So that is, uh, that's one of the cameras that I've been working on. And um, what's the focal length on that? Uh, uh, it is. Uh, I didn't write it down, but I remember the focal length to be about 45. Mm -hmm. So it is still wide for 645. Um, that's, that's not bad. That's a reasonable. That's a good wide, not a giant. Wide. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's not so bad that I'm going to get uh, ovals in the corners that are to my eye going to be I, I think it's roughly in the neighborhood of a 28 millimeter field of yeah. view yeah right so that was one of the things that i built uh or actually that was the only thing that i built but i was able to finally test a second of the holga slit masks uh i was able to test one that is roughly kind of the uh, proportions and shape of a surfboard. Now, um, surgeon 24 hours and, uh, I'm going to butcher your name. If I, if I, yeah, I'm going to butcher your name if I'm reading it. So surgeon 24 hours on Instagram, um, 
he said it kind of reminded him of a uh, of a um, double convex um, singlet lens in profile. So I kind of like it that it's a singlet lens uh, shape shooting uh, through a singlet lens on the Holga. <laughs> so I kind of kind of like that idea, that look of it. But that kind of worked. Um, and if you check my Instagram, Graham Homemade Camera, you'll see a bunch of that stuff up. And um, uh, so uh, and in- including some test shots from the uh, from the debonair. Uh, so, uh, or the pin air, I think I call it now. Um, but yeah, Yeah, that's a great use of that camera. I have the same camera and it has the same lens. It basically, it, it achieves center sharpness by making the edge so blurry that the center looks sort of all right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, mine's, mine's actually opposite. The edges look good, but the center is blurry no matter what you do. Oh, that's Um, weird. Yeah, right. Exactly. Some um, sort of like extreme field curvature, like a parabolic, yeah. a parabolic. No, field you curvature. just need to move the lens in or out a little bit. Uh, well, or or it was. Um, but the I lens mean, is probably a little bit too close. If the corners, which have a longer ray length, are in focus, yeah, I bet if oh, you okay. change the like the inner barrel rings a little bit, you could push that lens out and get center sharpness at the expense yeah. of corner sharpness. Yeah, or I could throw it away. Um, that's the <laughs> other option. <laughs> yeah. uh, it does have a really nice mechanism. Um, yeah. And once again, um, you know, we got to say this to Graham Jago of, uh, of Sunny 16. I have learned a lot by taking these things apart. Um, like, for instance, uh, this does not have an aperture control. It has two different shutter speeds. The way it gets to the shorter shutter speed is when you move the little lever that's on the top, it actually interrupts the movement of the shutter. And so it travels a shorter distance, it bounces back quicker. So, um, so it's like a, pe- far, a pendulum action shutter that goes one way and back. Is that the idea? Yeah, it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a guillotine, um, that moves up and out of the way. And then it, um, uh, it 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 interrupts that travel, so maybe that's part. Maybe that's a, a a shutter design we can we can work on. But it's it's quite interesting. got the zine running which is something that's uh that was uh it it was stalled for a little bit but we finally got the zine running uh and we're blah 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 okay um here uh, part of the deal was i was trying to write down the time here here let me Uh, start let me start this one just it's going to be really short and i'll be out of here okay Hey, Graham, can you tell us uh, uh, more about this zine? I've seen that you've finished it, and it looks really great. Um, there's a little more to do before we release it, but 
I have to run right now and get to work. So I, I hope that you can tell, uh, tell us all about it. And then I'll listen to it myself with everyone else when the podcast okay. comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that sounds good. Have fun at work. All right. Um, Catch you later. Yeah. So um, I uh, finally, I, I did, I, I kind of procrastinated a little bit. I'm putting it together, but I, um, uh, we're still in the month of July. We're actually in the last day of the month of July as we record this. Um, and the goal was to, to release it on August 1st. We're not going to quite make August 1st. We're going to be uh, probably a little bit late on it. Um, but by the time this is out, uh, the zine will have been released. And we have... Uh, okay, so this was the analogy. This was the... This was the metaphor that I thought of uh, last night. And the metaphor is this. With this podcast, we walked into a forest of camera building people. We picked a tree. That's the podcast. And we shook that tree. And those are the, the tree has the listeners in it. And down came this incredible harvest of fabulous um uh cameras um incredible builds um and just, crazy people and new friends and crazy right right exactly um the it is um it is so much better than anything than i hoped or imagined first of all way more contributors than i would have thought of um I, I'm not sure what the number is, but it is there. Uh, I believe there's something like 32 different builds, probably from 26 different people, because there are a couple of people who put in multiple builds. And um, and this is just this is the first scene. And um, I, and I think it, it might be one of the first zines like it um first publications like it and my god you guys are a bunch of crazy nuts um and you did some 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 really great work um we you know we have everything from uh matt perry's um uh uh <laughs> it's the best thing in the world it is a lego camera okay and it has a little Lego Millennium Falcon on the front where the I think that's the shutter um, and it's panoramic and it shoots over sprockets and uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And I was looking on Instagram yesterday and he was building another one um, and he was <laughs> showing that build. Um, that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and it's and it's probably. Uh, that's one range of, you know, of like pre-built parts that he assembled a camera out of, you know, um, as opposed to fashioning the parts. At the other end uh, is Dominic Silverthorne's uh, 4x5 open back uh, camera where he shows the piece of wood it starts with, how that wood was was processed and planed and cut um he shows the machining of some of the metal parts that are in it um and he, he and he comes away with this not only a camera that is 
effective and cool, but a camera that is beautiful and beautiful and it's uh, it's gorgeous and it's a little bit beautiful. Um, and uh, so uh, this is uh, it, the range is just amazing. We also have things like Dale Willett's um, taking a folding camera and making it into a five pinhole sampler um uh camera um that's absolutely cool you made a mention i think of thad matthews camera didn't you yeah so i mean i just did the um like the the proofreading um and went through very slowly i think yesterday morning um and you know this relates to the question at the the top of the episode i think one of the god ugliest cameras in this whole zine is Thad Matthews Pullen Stacks 545. Um, it's, uh-huh. It looks like it's made out of like a whole bunch of, you know, junk and tape. But I was really blown away with the images he made with it. I think, okay. you know, he is, uh, and maybe this is, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but but my impression of him, I've never met him or talked to him, is that he is only concerned with subject and composition, right? Like uh-huh. his pictures are beautiful. Um, and I think, you know, you and I and Nick get so caught up in, in sort of the, the technical, how are you going to build a good camera? And, you know, I wind up shooting hundreds of rolls of film of yeah. my street corner testing for light leaks and they're all terrible. But yeah, Fad is just like, I'm, I'm blown away by these pictures. I, I really love them. I think, um, yeah, he is, he is an excellent artist. Um, and he built a camera that did what he wanted. And uh, I'm, I'm super impressed with that one. Yeah. Or, uh, on the other hand, um, uh, just to describe it, and by the way, uh, this will be available very soon, so you guys can look at it. But probably it, it now has, by the time the podcast. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It'll it'll be available for you guys. Um, so look on um, uh, homemadecamera.com. Look on Instagram, any one of our accounts, and we'll have information about this. But um, the camera itself, this 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 one, yeah, it's got the tape showing. You can see the fuzzy, um, you know, like the foam that he uses for the seal around the 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 lens board. But it also is held together by wire or string. String. <laughs> in in a manner the same way that you know, like a child's tin drum has the head stretched on it and that to me is just like you know my first oh, thought well. is glue it bolt it whatever <laughs> yeah. you got to do but this is this is beautiful i love yeah. seeing that structure it's like um you know more and more modern buildings show the structure on the outside of the building um you know let us see the the inside structure i mean the classic thing is the pompadour center um in uh, uh for the louvre where all of the ducting is on the outside and it's visible and you know uh that type of thing that's the feeling that i get from this thing um and it's just absolutely uh amazing uh you know one of my favorite sets of images uh, was from Alex Purcell's uh, Big Muff camera. And you'll see, when you see it, you'll see why it's named Big Muff. And you'll uh, be able to read a little bit of it. But the images from that one are just incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, some of it's on paper, some of it's on film. 
Um, and it's a pinhole camera. Um, and, uh, you know, we have things like uh, Philip Lendrick. He does not have a camera that he is uh, that he submitted, but he has some homemade photo emulsion that he has made um, that he's put on glass negatives. Um, and so he's created his own dry plates. And uh, the quality of those images is just incredible as well. Um, I, I was also can, okay. I, can I bring up I was blown away that uh, you got Lucas Landers to contribute yes. not one but three cameras um, yeah. I feel like uh, I, I've talked to Lucas a little bit I watch his YouTube channel um, you should check him out on YouTube he's really amazing and very um, open and, and smart and um, I really look up to him I, I think he's almost you know, verging on ineligible because he is a pro um, and the cameras he uh -huh. builds are polished and beautiful. And, um, you know, he's almost a one man camera factory, which I, I aspire to be right. These are not, uh -huh. uh, these are not janky devices. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, he also uh, takes you know, of... photos. I think he's a photographer first before he became a okay. camera builder. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just to talk about the range of these three, he has one uh, that is uh, that shoots instant film. He has one that is um, that is a view camera. Well, or it's a, I guess we would call that a field camera design that is uh, the size of a penny. OK, it's, it's very, it's maybe very small, somewhere between a penny and a quarter. <laughs> Let's yeah, not yeah, split hairs. yeah, right. Well, I'm super yeah. tiny, super tiny. And then he has one that is a rangefinder, um, uh, street camera. Um, and yeah, yeah, and, I, and it's all metal, and you know, so yeah, and that, uh, that tiny camera. Um, I went back and forth with Lucas, as did a lot of people on the internet, about how to get bellows that fold small enough. And uh -huh. I told him how I did it, but still my solution was not, um, was not perfect. Right. I, I in my first, uh, Kickstarter camera had a real hard time getting bellows that were light tight and thin enough that they could fold down. And I think, you know, Lucas had a, a good deal of trouble with this, but he came up with a solution that, that really will influence my future builds, which is to use pneumatic, um, like it's organ or piano cloth. Um, oh, okay. It's a pneumatic fabric that's very thin and light tight. And um, yeah, I, I learned something um, very specific and useful from that. I really enjoyed that build. Huh. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there it, there's just a range. We can't go through all of them um, uh, because for one thing, um, we want you guys to go out and get the zine. Um, we, yeah, we, we have a couple of things to do. Nick has to uh, send me the introduction. Um, I have to go through and do. Uh, uh, Ethan did the proofreadings, and and now I need to make the corrections. And then we need to do a thank you page and um, uh, and all that. And I think a copyright page. We need to make sure that everybody knows that these images are copyright. The people who made them. So uh, so that's the deal. 
Now, this zine will be available as an e-zine, um, and it's uh, optimized for, excuse me, it's optimized for a screen that is 1024 by 768. Uh, and it, so one of the things that you can do is if you have a TV that you can hook your computer to, it's easy to see them that way. Uh, and that might be a good way to to, uh, to look at this. So because the images are, you know, of the cameras are wonderful and the images from the cameras are wonderful. Uh, so it's it's really worth it uh, uh, looking at. So um, anything else that do, you want to mention wanna, about that? Do you want to talk about it? paper version here um okay so um we've we've just okay so this was originally designed um devised as a uh an e uh version an electronic pdf download we have um uh decided to make it a paper version uh the paper version will probably take a, a, a another month to to be realized, um, but uh, but it, it's coming. It's coming. We'll do a, a paper version. We'll yeah, have I'd really like to have one of those. I think it would yeah. be nice to show people and have on my coffee table, and uh, maybe would yeah. be a good uh, small fundraiser for web yeah. hosting fees. Right, right. So um, and that and part of that deal is that we've decided to make the PDF version free. Um, and there, you know, there are a couple of things that go into it. One of them is um, I want as many people to see this as possible. Uh, and you know something? I want to brag on you, um, the listeners of our podcast. You guys have done some really twisted, cool shit, and I want people to see it. So um, that's part of the deal. So we're going to make um, the PDF version free. And then um, with the idea of uh, of making the paper version a, uh, a sellable item. So so that is what that's what our plan is, uh, is right now. So we have got we've got a little bit of logistics to um, to make that happen. Instead of uh, talking about a book, um, since we have our own book, uh, we decided that we were going to just talk about what we have here. Um, and um, we're going to combine uh, uh, that with our shout outs. Um, so the contributors are for this, for the zine, um, this is this is the thank you to the contributors for the zine. Uh, Dominic Silverthorne, <laughs> I can't even say your name, Dominic Silverthorne, um, Matt Perry, Dale Willits, Jean-Michael Mendiza, Thad Matthews, Matt Beckberger, Alex Purcell, Jonas Lundstrom, Neil Piper, Eben Otz, Ostby, I want to say your name differently. I want to say it Ostby, but it's Ostby, 
Eben Ostby. He's got some great pictures. Uh, oh, I got to talk to him about the West. Yeah. Uh, Philip Lenrick, Sandeha Lynch, Nicole Small, Tony Kemplin, Corey Cannon, Lucas Landers, Jacob Reynolds, Manuel Leon, or Manuel Lyon, Masumi Yamamuro, St. John Fuller, Ethan Moses, Nick Lyle, and Graham Young. So we are, um, Ethan actually contributed this before he was part of the show. So um, I, I actually didn't contribute it. Nick contributed it for me. Yeah, yeah, the right, writing right. is so good. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So. So anyway, those are our thanks. Um, that's our. Sh- those are our shout outs. Um, this is exciting. Um, and um, the only other thing that we have to do is thanks Robbie from Soundtrap Studios for composing and letting us use the music that we use throughout the show. Thanks, Robbie.